Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. This message on Sukkot, or the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, or Tents, was recorded outside on a camping trip around the campfire as we have our yearly camping trip. Our church always takes the young people out in the fall for a camping trip, and this year it was on Sukkot. So as we sat around the campfire, we took the opportunity to give a little message and teach a little lesson on Sukkot while they experience Sukkot. So forgive any background noises that you may hear in the message from the campfire or any other things that may be going on around while we talk about this lesson, but I pray that it bless you and bring you revelation. But since we are in Sukkot, we're going to go ahead and do a little lesson, a little teaching, a little message on Sukkot. In the, the feast days that the Lord gave to Moses, the very last of all of the holidays is Sukkot. Uh, it comes at the end of the year when all of the harvest have been completed. Prophetically, of course, we understand that the feast days, they were given for a learning and a remembrance, either of something that had already happened or of something that was going to happen. Jesus fulfilled some of those already, like Passover and Pentecost, but there are some that are yet to be fulfilled. And Sukkot is actually very interesting because it even says in scripture, and I'll read the passage at the end of this, But even after Christ's return, and when he sets up New Jerusalem, he's still going to require every nation of the world to honor Sukkot. And those that don't actually have a curse placed upon them, that he would take the reins away. And so it's interesting that this holiday was meant to be observed for all times. Prophetically, it points towards the very end of all things when the earth it says is destroyed and he brings a new earth and a new heaven wherein there is righteousness which I think is one of the reasons that he keeps it maintained even through the millennial reign because there are parts of it that won't be fulfilled until the very very end of this world historically it's mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 33 And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. So we're having a great time with our camping trip. Be grateful I didn't ask you to come out for seven days. (laughs) Because the real feast is a seven-day camping trip. And on the first day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall do no common work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And on the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. And ye shall do no common work therein. So there's a seven day period And then there is this eighth day that happens after it. That's kind of apart from it, but yet still connected to it. And we'll talk more about that later. 
These are the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice, a drink offering, everything upon this day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your gifts, and besides all the vows, and besides all your freewill offerings, which ye give unto the Lord also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land. Again, this came at the end of all of the harvest of that land, of that, of that place. Ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye shall take you on the first day the bolts of green trees and the branches of palms and the bolts of the thick trees and willows of the brook and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God even seven days the full seven days though they were required to build these booths which were really just tents or pretty much what Seth built back here they had to live out in the rough in the wilderness they had to depend on the lord it didn't matter the weather or the circumstance of the situation but the thing is that they were commanded no matter what happens you must rejoice through all of it and i've seen some pretty rough sukkots in israel because people from all over the world still travel to israel to celebrate this and they set up these big tent cities where everybody's out camping and i've seen some of them flooded where there's just little pieces of the tops of the tents sticking out you know bad weather comes but you have to rejoice through all of it that's the purpose there's a humbling in it there's a gratefulness in it there's a refocusing in it to remind yourself that these temporary dwellings they don't matter they're not our home we're only passing through there's a permanent home coming so don't let the things of this life distract you or consume you or agitate you keep your focus on better things to come on the promise Ye shall dwell in booths, which is a temporary dwelling or a little tent, seven days. All that are in Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, and Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. This is where the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles started. It's meant to be kept as a humbling, as a learning. It's a memorial of their time in the wilderness and all of the hardships that they went through. And it's a guard against murmuring and complaining. And I think it's a good thing for us even to remember in this time frame that God came harshly against the children of Israel that murmured and complained. You know, we have it so good and it's the, the feast with them going out and camping and depending on the Lord and dealing with the weather and the mosquitoes or the heat or the cold or whatever the situation was and being reminded that we have to rejoice no matter what happens. And sometimes God even allows a little poke here or there to test you, but it really does get you to check your heart and see how much you murmur and complain when really we have no reason to. If you try to observe it honestly, you will come out of it with a much more appreciative and very much more watching of your, your words. An attitude of gratitude. On the first day they were commanded to rest and then for seven days they 
spent time with the Lord remembering all that he had brought them through, all of the hardships, but all of his faithfulness in the midst of it. They endured and they rejoiced for what was coming in faith. On the eighth day, they then rested again and they celebrated the increase that had begun because the eighth day, if you think about it, it's a seven day week. So the eighth day is just the first day of the next week, but yet it's counted as an eighth day because it's something totally new. It's not looked at as just a restart of that same week. It's looked at as a new beginning, the start of something completely different in the same manner that when the time of this entire planet has passed, old things are passed away. All things become new. The old earth and the old heavens pass away. The next day isn't just the start of another week. It's the start of something completely different. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 13, it says, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. After that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine, thou shalt rejoice in thy feast. It's a time of rejoicing because the harvest is completed. Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy maidservants and the Levite and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within the gates, seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose. So God chose our camping spot this year and he chose a very good one we got a good camping spot this year <laughs> no Amen. problem praise the lord yep. it's in the place that the lord shall choose this was before they had come into the promised land and established everything the place the lord was really choosing was jerusalem so it hadn't been established yet so he said that in the place the lord chooses which would be jerusalem because the lord thy god shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all the work of thy hand, therefore shalt thou surely rejoice. The Lord promises blessing and increase. So we have to rejoice in faith for what he is going to bring. The place that the word Sukkot is first mentioned in scripture is Genesis thirty-three seventeen, And it's where Jacob, after he wrestled with God uh, and became to be called Israel, after he finished speaking to Esau, he departs and it says that he left and he built boots to watch over his flocks. And so he named the place Sukkot. So the very first place he went after he became Israel was a place that he set up these booths. And it was just a tent for him to watch over his flocks with and it was called Sukkot. It's interesting because when the Israelites left Egypt and became a nation, the first place that God took them was literally to this place, Sukkot, and then caused them to dwell in tents, these temporary dwellings, these booths, which is what the word Sukkot literally means. Egypt is a type of the world or even a type of the Antichrist system. It worshipped materialism. It promoted compromise through comfort, vanity, vainglory, lordship over others, pride, boastfulness, man's knowledge, dependence on money, abundance, and the tools of the land rather than faith in God's hand to do what no man can. So God needed to strip them of this in the wilderness. So a whole generation was raised up in tents from humble beginnings. He was going to create a mighty nation. But because the Antichrist system manipulates through materialism, he had to take them into tents to start stripping them. And I think that this is one of the reasons that God really promotes this to continue 
because the Antichrist system always distracts and pulls people away from dependency and connectivity with God through entertainment and materialism and all of these things of the world. And it's a time to just disconnect from it and reconnect with God and to depend on him and to remember. I think for Christians, it's very important because the Bible says that when the Antichrist steps in and he sets up the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy, sell or trade unless you are in his system, unless you pay allegiance to him. So in that case, the Christians are going to have to take off and go into the wilderness again. It'll be just like then. They'll have to learn how to depend on God. And so it's a remembrance, I think, even for the modern church, which has all but forgotten that Jesus is coming and there's a tribulation coming and there's an antichrist coming. And if you're not willing to completely separate from everything that is materialism or entertainment or ease, then you're going to have to give up your Christianity and take the mark. So stepping out of it is a good thing and a reminder. We used to joke that our camping trips was our tribulation training, but it really is. And I think that's a big part of the purpose in Sukkot still being honored to this day. God will do this with every man or woman who is truly led of him. He will take them out of Egypt and into a wilderness to be stripped and tested to see if their heart is to follow him or materialism. That's what he was doing with the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus asked him the same thing he asked all of the disciples. He was actually going to offer him or it would appear to be a disciple. But because he wasn't willing to step away from all of his possessions and all of his materialism, Jesus was identifying that there was a breach in his wall, a weakness. And if you're not willing to give up everything for Jesus, then eventually you're going to give up Jesus for the spirit of Antichrist because he's going to offer you something enticing. It's important to remember the hardships that we've been through as well as the victories so we can stay humble and grounded. The holiday was for the Israelites about remembering the hardships they went through in Egypt, not just the victory of it. Because you can get a little prideful if you only remember the victories. But when you remember the hardships you went through to get there, there's a humbling in it. There's a gratefulness. There's a lesson. We appreciate more when we stop and remember what he's gotten us through. The holiday is a remembrance for us personally as Christians. We can look at it because it's about the tense. They go through seven days in the tents, living this hardship. And you have to rejoice the whole time because you know it's coming to an end. Even when things are bad, and we've had some rough camping trips, we still joke about them. Yep. The 17 degrees one time, it was cold. <laughs> <laughs> they still complain, but I'm like, but you remember it. Yes. Yep. We had the sand burrs one year. We had the mosquitoes trying to kill us. It, we've had some rough ones. But you know it's going to be over with. And the purpose is to remember to rejoice. Even though there was a hardship in the wilderness, there was still a promise on the other end of it. So you still have a reason to rejoice. In this life, we go through hardships, but this world is not our home. There's a place we're pressing towards, a permanent dwelling. So we still have a reason to rejoice. We got to get our focus off of the temporary seven days and put it on the eighth day the good thing that's coming next. Paul said that our bodies are like tents. 
The seven days is a temporary dwelling in tents, but you're pressing towards the permanent dwelling. Paul was a tent builder. Actually, Sukkot is a tent or tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles. The word tabernacle is their same word for tent. Paul was a tent builder. That was his occupation. And he said that our bodies are temples. They're like tents. One day we're going to put off the tent and we're going to go to that permanent dwelling place. This is all temporary. Booths were used by shepherds to watch over their flocks. They were easy to move and of little value. You weren't very likely to try to set up camp and stay somewhere because it wasn't very valuable. One of the biggest problems in the church today is that we build such empires and kingdoms that are so full of glitz and glam and we're so worshipped by our people and the buildings are so beautiful that sometimes God's telling you to go do a work over here and you're not willing to go because you've built so much where you are. It's all a reminder that it's only temporary. So go where the flock is. Do what he's telling you to do. Lead his flocks. Psalms 30 verse 6 says, In my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. And I thought that very interesting. I think there's many a pastor that God is calling to another field or another vineyard or even to a more fruitful place. But in my prosperity, he said, I shall never be moved. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. Jesus was ready to take him out into the world with all the other disciples, but in his prosperity, he refused to be moved. He didn't want to leave his things. Sukkot is meant to remind us that it's all temporary. It's just things. It's nothing more valuable than a tent. We got some nice tents. We got us a nice camping ground, but tomorrow it's going to all be gone, and the only thing that's going to be left is a little bit of ash on the ground. In the end, everything's going to be gone. And the only thing that's going to remain of this physical world is ash. In Hebrews 13, uh, verse 12, it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Paul is reminding us of the lesson of Sukkot. Nothing here lasts. We have no permanent city. So just praise him and follow him. And wherever you do, Remember to speak the gospel, speak the truth, communicate and do good, and God will be pleased. This world is not our home. Even our bodies are temporary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, this Sukkot, were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens for in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked for we that are in this tabernacle this body do groan being burdened 
not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. In other words, we're not even groaning to get rid of our life. We're groaning to have a better one. We're groaning for God to fill us into eternal life. Now he that hath wrought us of the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in this in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to all stand before Christ and give an account. During the week of Sukkot, while they're camping out for their seven days and trusting in the Lord and having rejoicing fellowship time like we are tonight with friends and family. It is tradition for them to read through the book of Ecclesiastes because the book of Ecclesiastes, the theme of all of it is pretty much that everything physical is vanity and will pass away. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Solomon wrote it and he had all of the wealth and all of the wisdom and everything you could ever hope for in this world. And in the end, he said, it's all vanity. The whole duty of man is this, to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Because everything in this life is going to pass away. It's all vanity. This world is not our home. We're only passing through. It's a wilderness on our way to the promise. When we're commanded to rejoice in this wilderness. In the miserable elements of a prolonged camping trip. We're having a good camping trip this time, but we've had some rough ones and they've only lasted a day or two. Could you imagine how much we could have to complain about in seven days? Could you imagine how much we could have to complain about in 40 years? But he commands us to rejoice through all of it. It's a sacrifice of praise in faith, because if we really believe what he's getting us to, then even when the hardships come against us in the midst of it, we still have a reason to praise. Our life is a Sukkot. Yep. And no matter what happens, we still praise because we're headed for a permanent dwelling place. It's a sacrifice of praise and faith to rejoice that we are going to die and leave everything for a permanent dwelling place, a home. That's the eighth day, the new beginning. The reminder that just like the Israelites fleeing Pharaoh and Egypt into tents in the wilderness, so will the Christians one day have to flee the Antichrist and the world system to follow Jesus into tents in the wilderness once again. Remembering Sukkot, I think, is a good thing for tribulation readiness. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. 
When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Jesus spoke these words and he was giving a warning that there would come a point at which you see the Antichrist set this thing up, set himself up to be worshipped. And when, the, when he does that, the Christians are going to realize this is the Antichrist. It's here. And he's saying, don't wait. Don't try to figure things out. Don't try to negotiate. Immediately flee into the wilderness. Because as soon as that happens, the Antichrist is going to turn on the Christians immediately and begin to hunt and slaughter and kill him. He says, run, get into the wilderness. Just like the Israelites fleeing Pharaoh ran into the wilderness to live in Sukkot. So will the Christians in tribulation have to flee into a wilderness and live again in Sukkot. And this is a remembrance that we need to teach our children to not complain when they have to go out in the wilderness. Because there's going to come a time when they're going to have to if they want to maintain their salvation. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his house to take his clothes. But woe unto them that are with children in those days. Pray that your flight not be in the winter, neither in the, on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be again. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, do not believe him. For there shall arise many false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive even the very elect. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, Jesus is in the desert, do not go forth. Behold, he is in a secret chamber, do not believe it. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will be the eagles gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trump. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of the fig tree when the branch is yet tender and put forth her leaves, ye know that the summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all of these things, know that it is very near, even at the door. And Luke seventeen thirty one says, In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. He's saying there's going to be a point when you're going to have to flee to the wilderness. And if you stop and take the time to go and get your stuff, you're going to lose your life. Remember Lot's wife. Don't even look back. It's a remembrance to separate yourself from materialism. 
and to train your children from generation to generation to not idolize materialism because it's a manipulation, it's a tool of the Antichrist system to make them dependent to the point that they'll leave Jesus to keep it. Flee into the mountains and take nothing with you. When we were kids, you know, my parents, they always, always preached tribulation and end times. We were raised to understand that at some point, if you are alive at the time of the Antichrist, you're going to have to take to the wilderness with just the clothes on your back and trust God. Years ago, I used to run an end times website, and that's actually how my YouTube channel got started because it was initially just teaching people how to survive with nothing. The original videos were just about living off the land. And there's something inherent, I think, in all men that know that you need that. There's an interest for it, but it's easy to forget it. And sometimes it's good to remind yourself of it and remind others of it, to come back to it. Because we're gonna have to give up everything to serve God and to refuse the mark of the beast. It'll take people willing to live off grid and that sounds crazy, that sounds conspiracy, that sounds... Good, <laughs> sounds good, huh? Sounds great. <laughs> But that's Bible. That's scripture. I mean, it might seem a little Hollywood, but it's in the book. Mm -hmm. That's what it says. Count the cost. Count the cost. If you're not willing to give up everything of Egypt to follow God in faith, then you will give up everything of God to go back to Egypt, just like the Israelites did in the wilderness. You will follow the spirit of Antichrist for the sake of vanity. In the end, even Solomon himself fell because of vanity. The meat from Egypt is not enough wheat to make bread. They wanted the food of Egypt. Leeks and onions. Right? We don't want this manna from heaven. God was supplying. And the last passage I want to read y'all because I think this is one of the most interesting things about Sukkot. Sukkot will actually be mandatory for all believers through the millennial reign of Christ. And in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, starting in verse 5, we get an account of the end of the tribulation period. It says, And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. Again, talking about that time when they have to flee into the wilderness. For the valley of the mountains shall reach, this is, of course, specifically speaking to those in Israel. The one before that Jesus gave was general to all Christians and believers. This was speaking mostly to those in Israel because it mentions some of the mountain ranges around it. For the valley of the mountain shall reach unto Azil, yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Azu, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. You won't be able to see if it's midnight or if it's noonday because there's obviously some form of disturbance in the atmosphere. Of course, he said earlier that the sun would be as moon, uh, as blood and the, the, stars would fall too. the stars would fall. So, and you, so you couldn't see, saying you won't be able to distinguish the night from the day. The light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be as one day which shall be known unto the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass 
that at evening time it shall be light, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half of them towards the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. This is when Jesus returns. And that day shall be the day of the Lord, and his name is one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Giba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up. So the land of Jerusalem is going to be leveled and it's going to be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepress and men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited this is after Christ returns and this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem their flesh shall be consumed away while they stand upon their feet. This is most likely during the Battle of Armageddon. Sounds very nuclear. As they stand there, their, uh, their flesh is consumed away, and their eyes shall consume away in their eye sockets, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. This is during the battle. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among the people. And they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel and great abundance. And so shall the plague of the horse and the mule and the camel and the donkey, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left, so after the battle of Armageddon, those that fight against the Jerusalem, because all the nations of the world are going to gather together to fight, those who fight against them, Jesus comes in the saints, and he, he wins the fight, obviously. And so this is what happens to those who come against him. But of those who survive, who are left of those nations, people who are still in the nation that didn't come to fight, I guess. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations that came against Israel shall even go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up. Now this is astonishing. This means that even after the millennial reign, there's still going to be people and nations that are going to refuse to acknowledge Jesus Though he is set up in New Jerusalem as king over the earth in the millennial reign. That's stubborn yeah. people. I heard some coyotes. That's a mercy. It really yeah. is. Now he's saying of all of those that will acknowledge him. Right. He wants them to come yearly to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. But of those who refuse to do that. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, upon them shall be no rain. That's a merciful judgment. He's just saying, okay, it won't rain on you. He's trying to prove it to them. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, even after he stopped the rain and they still don't come, then there shall be a plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen 
that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So I think that's just astonishing to see it all the way through, even to the end. That even after the return of Christ, he's still trying to get them to remember to spend this time of humility and disconnect. And we understand that after the thousand year reign, he withdraws himself and he allows the, the devil to be loosed again for another season. And there's another war. And I think that's part of the reason that he maintains the feast through it to keep the people with an opportunity to connect to him and to disconnect to the family of Egypt, which is the Antichrist spirit. It's that system, that, that devil. So it's a remembrance. It's prophetic of things that are coming. It's a disconnect from materialism. It's a time to get away with family and praise God and connect with him. And to remember to not allow yourself to be so caught up in this temporary world system that you lose sight of what really matters. The tents are temporary. On the eighth day, you go back to your permanent dwelling place. At the end of our life, we're going back to our permanent dwelling place. At the end of this dispensation, we're going to a permanent dwelling place. Even the earth itself is temporary. There's going to be a permanent dwelling place. Don't get so caught up building kingdoms here that you lose your place in forever. I wanted to say, too, is that we're echo what Miranda said specifically about how we've done these camping trips around the same time. And I find it appropriate that next year we can look at it going into it with a spirit of humility because what God revealed to me Sukkot is to our lifestyle as fasting is to your diet that's right and and I'm I'm not saying I'm uh, I've arrived as it as it relates the need for humility because everything that we get in the terms of the grace of God is unlocked only through what humility humility and everything that we receive from God in terms of healing and salvation comes by way of faith. So without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without humility, it is impossible to receive grace. So in that Sukkot, as Heart of Worship Church is concerned, this is this is where it's at. interesting thing is that Sukkot takes place after all of the harvest after the barley harvest after the wheat harvest after the grape harvest after the olive harvest all of the harvest are done and then biblically the barley harvest is the first harvest that was Jesus that lines up with Jesus being the first fruit then the wheat harvest comes that's 
the Christians, it says that he'll harvest the wheat before the tares. And then the grape harvest, the grape is the winepress of his wrath. That's when he gathers in all of the sinners. And in Israel, the harvests line up with exactly how he's going to do it. But after all of the harvests, then comes Sukkot. So at the end of everything, Sukkot is finally fulfilled. It's the last feast prophetically to be fulfilled. So it's good to remember it. It's still coming. But even after all of the harvest and there's nothing, there's no more souls to be harvested, there's an eighth day. There's something new. There's a new beginning, something grander, and we don't even understand what it is. God doesn't stop. He's going to keep using us. It says we're going to be judges over angels. We're going to be rulers with Christ. Well, what are we ruling over? There's something that comes after. There's a harvest. There's a work to be done. And though it's not recorded what it's going to be, there's still another mission coming. And it's grander. It's greater than anything that was before. So even when God brings you to the end of something, it's not the end. It's just the beginning of a new beginning, something bigger. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.